I, I did. I had no interest in writing the long run. I had no interest in writing about sobriety or recovery or, you know, that transformation in my life. And, um, my editor, David Blum sort of tasked me with it. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to do that. You know, I was like, I hate all the, you know, those sort of like, you know, crystal waving new age narratives about how I changed my life. And you can too. And he was like, no, 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 you're, I'm not telling you to do that. Be yourself and just tell it the way you would tell it. This is a thing that happened in your life. Just tell us what happened, you know? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And, um, and I just, I was like, I'm just going to describe my ugly life in, you know, in great detail and, and just talk about the, the gritty process of like getting my shit together. And, um, the only way that I could trick myself into being that honest for that long was to Dave and I have a great friendship. And the only thing that I, the only way I could fool myself into doing it was telling myself, Dave's just, I'm just sending this to Dave. He's just going to read it. That's it. It's just he and I, it's a confidential, you know, conversation. And so I sent him this private story full of my secrets and he sent it out to the world. That was Mishka Shubali, and this is the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. The YTP is sponsored by Health IQ, a life insurance agency that uses science and data to secure lower rates on life insurance for health-conscious people, including runners, cyclists, yogis, vegans, and more. 56% of Health IQ customers save between 4 and 33% on their life insurance. We always say, do the work for the sake of the work and not the reward. But that's not to say if there is something good for us in the end that we should walk away from it. So go to healthiq.com forward slash YTP to support the show and see if you qualify. Episode 89 of the pod showing up for you today. I'm just your host. And this is the place where we share the stories of people looking, finding and living their purpose. Would our guest today agree that he's living his purpose? Well, I'm not sure about that, but he is certainly our guest today because in our eyes, his perfectly played out, dirty, and I mean messy path, has led him to critically acclaimed creativity, which he shares through his writing, performances, and teaching. I would say that smells like a divine blueprint of purpose. Mishka Shubali is a self-proclaimed mannish boy who may appear rough around the edges with his deep sandpaper-like voice, but I can assure you that I felt something very soft and limitless while in his company. A for sure rebel, Mishka lived a reckless life while alcohol and drug abuse consumed him for decades until one day when he saw the vastness of his future turning into a narrow crevasse. Without the assistance of AA, he turned in his low-vibe, medicated life for the state of sobriety he lives today. Although he spends most of his nights expressing his art in alcohol-filled venues, this guy has an unshakable will that is no doubt fueled by his remembrance of living out a hell on earth. His road to health appears very well paved, and with the addition of a plant-based diet to his list of things that I do that are good for me, he has improved his blood work numbers greatly in a short period of time. Mishka is the best-selling author of six Kindle singles and his most recent full-length memoir, I Swear I'll Make It Up To You. But he is so much more than that, and we cover so much in this conversation, including the moment when he realized he was an alcoholic, to what it means to be a man, 
to the window of contemplation he finds when running long, and how adopting a better way of life is shifting his position within the writing world. I think you're going to enjoy this pod today. Thank you for your support of the show. Yogi Triathlete Holistic Performance is on a mission to create a better world by assisting those who are ready to wake up and kick ass. This tribe grows stronger every week, and we thank you for all the emails and messages sharing how you are making positive changes in your life. The Yogi Triathlete Cookbook High Vibe Recipes for the Athlete Appetite has flown off our shelves. We are currently out of stock for signed copies, but it is available on Amazon, so please use the Amazon banner ad in the accompanying blog post for this show or at yogitriathlete.com forward slash shop. It doesn't cost you a thing, but it throws us some dimes to keep the lights on. We're loving all the food picks from the cookbook, so please hashtag Yogi Triathlete Cookbook and we'll get you featured on our social channels. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave a review on Apple Podcast. We are giving away three pairs of two times you compression run socks, and I just have to say that these babies make going long that much more enjoyable. All right, are you guys ready? Let's do it. I give to you our convo with best-selling author, ultra runner, musician, sober lifer, and van-obsessed dude who has been described as a beaming ray of jet black sunshine, Mishka Shubali. That was Wait, no, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, let's talk about, let's just dive right into the, the plant-based stuff because you're recent. Yeah. As your Mauanana sweet yeah. potato, straight up. Not cooked? <laughs> I, um, no, why? Well, just, we just got home, whatever, an hour and a half ago. And, uh, and I, I had phone calls and emails to do. And then I realized, like, I hadn't eaten. And I was like, I know I'm going to get hungry. And I went to my sister's fridge and there was a cooked sweet potato in there, which is funny because that's, that's my go to at home is to just have some cooked sweet potatoes in the fridge. And yeah, you don't need to do anything to them. No, <laughs> they're it's, like they're it, ready. It's yeah, I had the same experience before we were coming here. I was like, oh, I'm going to be hungry, but I don't feel like making a spinach salad and all this stuff. So I grabbed an avocado and threw some nutritional yeast and some hemp seeds and a little mm. bit of salt and some turmeric because turmeric on everything for for us. Yeah, and it was so good. And you're just eating it like you don't need a plate, right? Yeah. It's right. It's got the perfect package. So this it's, whole... it's funny too the way that the people th like think about food though is I was like eating a potato in the van and some woman pulled up at a stoplight and saw me and looked away horrified <laughs> like like I'd been playing with myself or something I was like no I, th this is actually food it's right. not like I'm eating a, you know a Big Mac or something but like if you that. had a Big Mac well if it was us we might look at you a little horrified right, but... yeah. <laughs> no, it was but Georgia can't, not we California. can't with our yogi license plates you cannot be a jerk in the yeah, at all you gotta be like fully accepting <laughs> all the time there. Yeah. there are some times when I'm driving and we were talking before we put the mics on about how you know that east coast edge like doesn't leave you and there's a couple times in the car you know I'm trying to get to yoga and I feel I feel the rage like start to build and i'm like you've committed your whole life to yogi triathlete you have yogi tri license plates like girl you gotta do the work right now like right now you gotta live the part yeah yeah you gotta show up well let's talk about that stuff let's talk about that because this i think this is one of the reasons why it took me so long to come around to eating a plant-based diet is because you know i mean i you know, I mean, my background is like, you know, basically being a music fan, being, you know, uh, like punk rock, rock and roll, 
the whole sort of sleazy rock and roll lifestyle, hedonism, drugs, alcohol. Um, I miss smoking cigarettes, you know? Um, and, uh, I had so much resistance about eating, you know, a plant-based, plant-based diet because, um, number one, there's so much hatred towards vegans. And number two, a lot of it is deserved. Mm. I, you know, the, um, whenever, whenever I'm on the road, people are like, um, oh, well, let's go to this, you know, vegan restaurant or whatever. And it's. $19 for six Brussels sprouts. Mm -hmm. I'm 220 pounds. I can't live like that. <laughs> and it's, you know, and it's a joke and it's, um, I, and I think it's an insult to like working people and, you know, and that's, I, I think that's sort of the lens that I see everything through in the world is, um, money, capitalism, um, how people, how working people get by from day to day, because that's been, that's been the overarching concern of my life, you know? Um, and, um, but, you know, I got to give, you know, big ups to, uh, you know, it's a rich role because, um, you know, one of the things that he made me realize, um, and, and I, I took as long to realize this as possible is that, that you don't have to be a bougie elite snobby vegan that you can just eat your lentils and eat your beans and eat your greens and like not i never i never got the slightest amount of judgment or impatience from rich with the way i was eating it was just like oh that, that's what you do that's not what i do and and he just sort of he, he just waited for me to come around Super grateful to him for that. I mean, and also, I mean, the other thing too, like, let's be honest about it. You know, like what finally made me take the plunge was I went to the doctor this year and he was like, you are not well. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, but I'm healthier than all my friends. And he was like, well, <laughs> you're, you know, you're not healthy. Um, uh, what I, prompted you to go to the doctor? Was there anything that prompted uh, the I visit? Turn, or you just... I turned 40. Um, that was one thing. And also for the last 18 months, I had wanted to die like every single day, just feeling like garbage. And one of the things I found out when I went was, um, I was pre-diabetic, high blood sugar, uh, low testosterone. My doctor said, you have the testosterone of a 70 year old man. So you're feeling pretty so, good about yourself. I was, I was like, thanks dude. Thanks. You're like, hmm, I wonder um, if that's going to be a motivator for change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> high, um, high cholesterol and vitamin D deficient. And, uh, I just went back to my doctor and, uh, lost uh, between 20 and 25 pounds. Um, my vitamin D came up, my cholesterol went down my testosterone came up and my blood sugar went down so what every single one of those four health conditions corrected itself over six months yeah of, this is gonna ask this. of eating correctly taking vitamins and supplements and uh and exercising you know yeah um so so yeah i mean you know rich uh rich was the the good angel you know of like you know this is you know, sort of a better way to live. Uh, but people don't listen to their better angels. You know, I mean, we've been telling people forever, plastic bags are horrible for the environment. You need to stop using them. And people are like, yeah, whatever, man. 
um, okay, now the plastic bags are going to cost a nickel. Fuck. I'm, I'm going to start bringing my own, you know, grocery bags, you know, and, and that's what people listen to, you know? And I think that you're, when we talk about like change, it's, you got to get to a point, like what people say to me, they, they talk to us a lot about, you know, people that they know or family members, oh, they're so unhealthy. I just don't know what to do. How can I make them change? And I'm like, you can't make them change. They haven't changed because their life is not it's not crappy enough yet. Like, it's not like they haven't heard that news that makes that takes their life down to the level where they're like, okay, this has got to change. And I went through major transformation in my life because pain was a huge motivator. I was miserable. I was angry. I was all these different things. And I was like, God, there's got to be a there's got to be a better way to live. There's got to be a better way to live. Yeah. And it wasn't so much. I guess it was health. But it was more of just the way that I moved through the world was so, so much effort, so much pain, so much conflict, so much like I was just a verbal jouster. Like I would just joust until I was the last man standing. And that's just exhausting. And for what? Right? Like for what? You know, people like Rich and I don't know him personally, like people like BJ and I, it's just it's a constant practice because it is a practice. I'm not going to say we're perfect. It's a practice of really like meeting people where they're at and understand that people are going to change when they're ready to change. And yeah. so all we can do is live the example and being like a meat shamer and protests and like being an angry vegan is not the way we approach it. But I but that doesn't mean that there's moments where I'm in the airport and I'm like, you know, because we got into it for health and performance, right? Mm. So that's easy. Like, you can see how quickly your body can change. Yeah. But now we've been vegan since 2011. Now we know all about the animals and all the shit that goes down. And being, you know, yogis really, like, living from that 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 perspective and that philosophy and those principles, you know, there's this, um, there's this ahimsa, this nonviolence. And so I see the torture and, and just the horror and... And that doesn't mean that when I see people eating this way or or mothers feeding their infants cow's milk that I don't, like, get this feeling of rage. Of course I do. But it's like you got to recognize on the, that on the spot and realize that if I'm here trying to live this life of being nonviolent, well, that's freaking violent if I'm going out there and shaming people for what they're doing and how they're living their lives. Who am I to say what's right for them? I have had this ongoing conversation with a, a like a really good friend of mine who plays in this, you know, super loud sort of noisy death rock band. And um, he's he's been sober for a long time. And um, he he knew that I was uh, a, an open champion for uh, the restorative powers of mushrooms and other psychedelic drugs. And uh, and also that. I figured out that I was unhealthy and that I needed to embrace plant-based whole foods. And uh, so he finally ate mushrooms and then he called me a couple of days later and he was like, man, I had this epiphany, you know, that like, I'm going to, I'm going hardcore vegan, you know, cause I realized that like, you know, it's that it's murder and that it's torture and that it's, you know, it's totally unethical. And I just feel like I need to spread the word and tell everyone. And I, I said, well, good luck because man, pick up a newspaper. Like the world has sent a message that they're okay with slavery and they're okay with torture and they're okay with murder of human beings and other animals. And I, I don't think, you know, and I, and you know, 
I've told him that I don't think that he's going to convert a lot of people by having these protracted ethical conversations with them unless, unless they bring that up first. Because if you try and sway someone with that, I find usually that they just dig their, you know, they dig their heels. Yeah, in. they run in the Digging opposite deeper. direction. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I found too. You know, there's organizations who are, you know, PETA, been doing it for a long time in and um and they're they are edgy. Like they will push it to the yeah. limit. And some people respond to that. I well, think it's I a think very they, small percentage. I think they do more harm than they do good. Yeah, I think because, it's a really small because percentage. as soon as you tell someone that you're vegan, they're like, "Oh, you're one of those." And it's like, "No, those." Yeah. Listen, uh, uh, radical Christians, radical Muslims, radical animal rights activists—they're all shitty people. <laughs> like when you take extremism in any form, I mean, I mean, unless it's like whatever extreme compassion or something like mm-hmm. that. When you when you take that to the, I mean that attracts unstable people in my experience, you know, and it's people who want, um, who seek conflict and want, and want drama and often are more, you know, they embrace a doctrine as a means of finding power for themselves because they feel weak in their own lives. You know, I get, I get, you know, my family is, my mother's family is hardcore Catholic. And so they always want to talk to me about, you know, religion and politics. I'm like, nah. I love you. I mm-hmm. accept that we have differences in opinions and I don't want to fight with you. So like, let's talk about the weather. Let's talk about what you did this year, how your summer was, how the crops are doing, whatever, anything but that. Cause I, it's not going to, I'm not going to sway them. They're not going to sway me, you know? Um, let's just agree to enjoy each other's company. Right. And if you, you know? can't find a, common ground within religion or veganism or whatever when you if you can't find a common ground within it then just talk about something else that you can you can agree upon because it's just it's it's a waste of energy and and so you know but just like me not running up to the mother who's feeding cow's milk and being like do you realize that a a mother's baby was stolen so you you know i mean for me to do that is isn't that kind of the same thing as me to say you're an angry vegan and you shouldn't be an angry vegan i just i think that we if we can fall into whatever role that is that uh, that feels aligned with what our goals are like you wanted to improve your health and mm-hmm. and you're taking it really simple like you're just eating sweet potatoes or I'm just eating avocados or we put a really simple cookbook together I think when you find that niche for yourself that if you can just grow within that and live that example it doesn't have to mirror anybody else's people will take notice the people who are ready for change will take notice just in same thing with in sobriety right like yeah my the um you know, one of my greatest influences for getting sober was a friend of mine who was in another like noisy death rock band. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and we worked at this club together and he was always like in better shape than I was like, looked better than I did dated hotter girls, you know? And, um, he never said anything to me about how I was living or what I was doing, you know? And then finally I was like, you know, like what, what am, what am I doing wrong? Or like, what are you, what are you, what are you doing right? Why are our lives so different? 
And he was like, well, you know, I, I don't do these things that you do, you know? Um, and he used to, you know, smoke crack and inject cough syrup and just, you know, do all kinds of garbage. And, um, but he never, ever told me you should do this or you ought to do this. Or he was never trying to sell me on anything. He, he just like, he was just a good friend to me and waited for me to ask him, waited for me to come to my senses. And then, and then, and you know, and that's been one, you know, one of the most enduring friendships in my life. And like, whenever I'm sort of in trouble now, or I don't know what to do, he's one of the first people I call, but the, all the people who are like, you need to get sober. I, I just cut them out of my life, <laughs> you know? And, um, I take a lot of shit from people about my writing that, you know, that, oh, um, your work is narcissistic. It's narrowly focused on your own life and your own problems and your own issues. And you never say, you know, well, this is what we can do as humanity to move forward. Um, or, you know, you don't, um, you don't volunteer to work with other addicts or whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, a leader. I'm not a politician. I'm not a spiritual leader. I'm not a religious. Le We're sitting in the back of my van. We are. I'm a fact. guy. I'm a guy. I'm a dude. <laughs> I, you know, I still transact on Craigslist all the time. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm just a guy and I don't have a religious manifesto to sell anybody. I'm not, I want you to read my my writing for entertainment and, and hopefully like you'll get something out of it. Hopefully it'll make you laugh. You'll feel something. Maybe you'll learn something out of it. But I'm not trying to sell anybody on a certain, you know, particular way to live. For me to claim to have some universal wisdom, men are like this, women are like this. No, I don't know. I, I know it's taken me, I'm 40, it's taken me this long to figure out a quarter of my own life. And I'm happy to share with you the things that I've found that have solved, you know, problems in, um, in my own life. But it's up to you to decide whether that works for you or not. You're, you know, you're a human being. You have your owner's manual. You're, you have your own authority to decide what's right for you and what's not. I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. I think it's really helpful to share your experience. I think it's really, it's helpful because it's so truthful. You know, it's really, it's coming from um, the trials and tribulations that you've had. And when I say you, I mean like all of us that are living in this way um, and, and opening up and saying, you know, this is how it used to be for me. Like I used to used to punch myself in the arm just to like, just to, because I had so much rage and anger in me. Like, it's just mm -hmm. crazy. Like, and I haven't, I haven't fully disclosed all the crazy stuff because nobody knows how crazy I was except for me. And um, we are an enclosed van. I hope you feel safe. <laughs> uh, but what I'm getting at is that, like, I get it. Like, when somebody says, like, I can't sleep at night or I can't meditate, I can't do that or what, what can I expect? Like, I get you. Like, I get you. I used to be that. All I can do is speak from what has worked for me because there is... I don't think there is an owner's manual for any of us. And what I've learned through the 80-whatever sessions we've done on this show is that everybody's vocabulary to describe their experiences varies a little bit. But if we were to boil down what the essence of the struggle is, they're, they're exact. Yeah. The, um, I mean, I think a lot of it is the engagement or participation or, um, so if you, 
if you listen to an audiobook or if you watch TV, you soak up some of that experience, but mostly it's sort of, it's just like it's washing past you. But if you read a book, that's an active experience. Like, you know, to, to listen to an audiobook, you sort of just sit there, you know, um, to actually read a book, your, your eyes are doing work. Your brain is doing work. You're sort of filling in those gaps, you know, for, you know, if I, I mean, this is the most, the worst, most banal example, but let's go with this, uh, a rose, you know, it's, it's pretty, but the thorns can stick you. You'll automatically come up with, oh man, that's like. That's like life. That's like love. That's like my mother-in-law. You automatically supply the analogy, the greater meaning. If I were to tell you love is like a rose, you're, you're it's like, man. Surface. You know, it's so surface. It's surface and also it's, it's just washing over you. You're right. not active. You're not participating. If, you know, if I, if I just tell someone in great detail about my life, about my struggle with alcoholism, about my fears and my failures and waking up in my own urine, you know, then um, a lot of times they'll be like, man, I did that too. Or I still do that, you know? And, you know, in, instead of, you know, instead of trying to say, here's some universal truth, it's better for me to just describe my own experience in great detail totally open, totally honest and let another person, let them do the work, you know? Yes. Cause they have to, they have to do the, the work and then, themselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that goes right along with, you can't <clears throat> change anyone, right? Like you can't change anyone. They have to have the motivation to change and they have to do the work. And if we were to look at it from a yogic philosophy, it's actually really violating to step in and say, you're not living the way that you should live and you should live this way because you're not allowing them to fully go down and exhaust that path yeah. that they're on. And you're saying that I don't trust you as a human being to live your life the way that, you know, you were here to live it. And for, for me, like a huge thing when I went fully vegan was that I went, I didn't, I like started to lose the anger and I started to lose the anxiety and I started to lose the fear. Now I, I understand the correlation I've made is that I was ingesting that of the animals and all of that. But like, I can speak to that from my experience. Like, Oh, you don't sleep at night. Well, this, this, this helped, like it changed me. Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe it wouldn't work for somebody else, but it's, I think speaking from your own experience because you've done the work. Yeah. Like, you're not just talking about being sober, but you're still drinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you've done the work. Um, and actually, what I want to move into is you're, you're saying, like, you know, sharing this open and honest. When So you're the author of The Long Run. Yes. Um, which was huge Kindle single. Yeah. Big. You had to just, like, puke it all in there, right? Like, <laughs> how was that the first time that you started to crack the vault for others to see what was in it? It's funny because that was actually, that was my second Kindle single. And the first one I, you know, wrote about was about getting shipwrecked. And then, and that was a, a big hit. And then my editor was like, oh, you have to tell this story about how, you know, you, you know, you were a druggie and, uh, you that's know, such I, an I, 80s term well, druggie. It's, we had a whole druggie parking lot. That's the druggie parking lot. It is. It's that antiquated term <laughs> is it. totally correct for <laughs> who it. I was and You're what I was, druggie. you know, I mean, I, uh, 
I, God, I remember I was working for this contractor in, uh, in upstate New York and, you know, I sort of like had to drop something off at his house and I went and knocked on the door and his like eight year old daughter opened the door and said, are you a druggie? <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> um, Why did she say that to you? Because I look like a druggie, like man. A druggie. <laughs> like, and she was just honest. Yeah. That's awesome. The, um, so when I, I did, I had no interest in writing the long run. I had no interest in writing about sobriety or recovery or, you know, that transformation in my life. And um, my editor, David Blum, sort of tasked me with it. And I was like, dude, I'm not going to do that. You know, I was like, I hate all the, you know, those sort of like uh, crystal waving new age narratives about how I changed my life and you can too. And he was like, no, 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 you're, I'm not telling you to do that. Be yourself and just tell it the way you would tell it. This is a thing that happened in your life. Just tell us what happened, you know? And so I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And, um, and I just, I was like, I'm just going to describe my ugly life in, you know, in great detail and, and just talk about the, the gritty process of like getting my shit together. And, um, the only way that I could trick myself into being that honest for that long was to Dave and I have a great friendship. And the only thing that I, the only way I could fool myself into doing it was telling myself, Dave's just, I'm just sending this to Dave. He's just going to read it. That's it. It's just he and I, it's a confidential, you know, conversation. And so I sent him this private story full of my secrets and he sent it out to the world. He was like, it's great. You're like, for sure, he's going to come back with all these edits. And I, I was convinced that that was the end of my career as a writer. Um, and I was like, I was like, this is it. I'm just going to alienate everyone and fuck it. I don't care because I've carried this secret for so long. And um, it's funny when I finished the story, I was like, oh man, this must be a little bit like what it's like to be gay and come out of the closet. Cause I was like, I, you know, this has had so much power over me. And then now finally I'm like, yeah, fuck it. I'm gay. You know, like I don't care. Um, and, uh, and then of course the long run was bigger than any other story I'd ever, you know, published with them. Um, so I don't know at this point. I've, I've, if you're putting yourself out there, like it's like the most pivotal, like most unworthiness thing. Like you just keep it in, in, in. And then when you make that big leap of like, here it all is. And you kind of have that, I see what you're doing. You're in the back of your mind. You're like, well, I'm, he's probably going to do something, but I'm just, it's just a story between him and me. And you put everything on the line. That's actually when amazing things happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I was talking to a friend of mine about this. He's, he's working on a book now and um, we were hanging out and he was like, you know, he's like, Oh, you know, that was the year I had my spiritual awakening. And, uh, and I, my ears sort of pricked up and I was like, tell me about that. And he was like, well, this isn't going to go in the book, but and proceeded to tell me a story that was like, I got, you know, I got like goosebumps all over my body listening to him tell this story. And I thought I was going to cry. I thought I was going to get sick. And then, you know, and then he finished and looked at me and I was like, dude, that's got to go in the fucking book. Are you, are you kidding? And, and for him, it was, it was too 
revealing, too vulnerable, mm. too naked. And I was like, that's the shit, man. That's what we're, that's so what, see, yeah, that's what we're here you. for. Oh, you know? that, that's what's going to say to people like, okay, I'm not alone. And that's a huge motivator for change. Like, I'm not alone. Like, I can get out of this. Yeah. And I would imagine that it's not the people like BJ and I are that are going to read it that you don't even, you know, at the time didn't even know who we, we were. But it's like your mom. Your right, oh God, yeah. like your friends, like the pe the the people close to you that maybe didn't know, like the because nobody knows, like I said earlier, nobody knows the darkness as dark as you did. Yeah, it's um, and you know, and that was brutal sometimes, you know, because there were you know there were a bunch of my friends who sort of came to me after I I wrote that and published it, and they were like, dude, you know. We had no idea it was that bad. And I was like, yeah, no, that was the point is I'm like I'm good at hiding shit. You know, I was mm. good at concealing it from you. But also there was, uh, I was in a band with some friends of mine um, and my, you know, our singer's cousin would come to see us play and she was a publicist for some, some bigger authors. And, um, you know, so I'd sort of met her in a cursory manner several times over the years. And, um, and then when the long run came out, she read it and I saw her at a show and she looked at me and she was like, I don't know what to say to you. And I was like, well, I, I'm sorry. Like whatever it is, I don't, you know? And she said, no, I, I just thought that you were this like drunken lummox. And she said, I had no idea that you had this internal life because you never betrayed that you were intelligent at all. You know, the entire, you know, the entire time that I've known you, you were just the guy sitting at the bar. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I was like fucking doing construction and shit, you know, like the. It's like anything but to live who you fully are. Yeah. Well, and to. Like all that stuff is just such a, it just, it just lowers your ceiling on your well, potential. It Well, yeah, it was, I mean, I spent you know, way too long working in bars in New York. And like, we'd always have really rude patrons, you know, say horrible shit to you when you're bartending or busting their glasses or, you know, t checking their IDs or whatever. And, um, you know, I, there would, you know, there would always be people who are like, you know, I'll have, you know, I have my master's degree. And it's like, no, don't, don't fucking say that. That just makes it worse. Like if you have your master, what are you doing working here? You jerk, you know, or like just, you know, and f for me, it was just like, just, just, just play dumb, you know, just, um, just keep your head down and just, you know, just get out of the situation, whatever it is, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I hid so much of myself. Um, and then it was, it was tremendously liberating when, uh, you know, when I just came out and I was like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm an alcoholic and I have been for a long time. And, uh, and I'm done. <laughs> and we've, I, we've listened to you know your full story on on Rich Roll, and you know it was it was messy. Oh you yeah, were, you were super messy. Yeah, I mean that you know <laughs> alcoholism by nature is is messy. Well, and the other thing is you know I like anybody else, I I read and I've you know I've experienced these you know narratives, and I I absolutely know. Um, alcoholics who have had that like thunderclap of you know like 
an epiphany and like, and I never drank again. It's it's not how it was for me. Yeah. Not how it was for most of my friends. What did yours, like, what was, what was the, the precursor to you becoming sober? Well, I mean. And were there fallbacks from that sobriety? Like, were you like, okay, I'm going to do it. And then for a little while and fell back. When I was 17, I, I figured out that I was an alcoholic. I, I was like riding the bus in Colorado and I was like, I've gone too deep into this now, you know, that like I was hung over and I had, you know, an inch and a half of whiskey left in the plastic bottle in the, you know, in my basement and, uh, and even feeling mortally wounded by liquor, thinking about that made my mouth water. And I was like, oh shit, I, you know, I was sort of just fooling around and I'm stuck, you know? And, um, and I was like, I'm, I'm going to have to quit drinking. And sure enough, 15 short years later, (laughs) (laughs) I had a lot more drinking to do before you had to exhaust. Yeah. You had to exhaust um, the path. mm -hmm. And I, I think that great healing comes from, exhausting the path and and to go back to what i was saying like this and and this can be construed in such a such a incorrect way and so how however people construe it doesn't matter to me but it's you know these like interventions like you know we're here to, because we love you and we're going to intervene and you're going to get sober now well if that person's not ready they have not exhausted that path it is not a sustainable change for them whether you strap them in the car and drive them to the rehab it's it's, you know, rarely, it's like the angry vegan, I think for a very, very small population of people, would that ever, would that ever work? I, um, my greatest fear is becoming a parent. And now I'm going to tell everybody how to be a parent. <laughs> if you fear that your 26 year old son has a drinking problem, kick him the fuck out of your house. What, what is a 26 year old doing living with their parents? In the fir- I mean, unless, unless they're disabled in some way, there's no reason for your kid to be living with you when you're, tw- you know, when they're 26, you know, I, I have, um, you know, I, I get, I'll get the 22, 23, 24 year old guys who email me and they're like, I got to quit drinking. And, and I'm like, okay, let's talk about this. And, and generally what they mean is I've got to quit getting in trouble for drinking, or I've got to quit getting hangovers. They don't want to quit drinking because mm-hmm. they know how to quit drinking. You, you don't drink <laughs> and you don't need to write to me to find out how to do that. You just don't drink. Um, or I'll have, you know, people in their fifties write to me and say, you know, my son or my daughter is, is, you know, drinking and they ask for my help and you know, how to like get them better. And, and I always ask, you know, how old they are. And if, if they're 22, 23, 24, I generally say it's probably not going to work. You know, I mean, I hope it does. And, you know, I, I, I know, you know, people who have quit from at 24, at 22, at 18, at 14, you know, and who have been successful with it. But by and large, you know, um, people really have to, uh, have to screw up a lot for a long time before they're ready to change. And more often than not, when I probe a little bit about the, the parents with the kid in their mid to late twenties who can't get their shit together, you know, they say, 
well, you know, we're ready to take, you know, big steps. And I was like, well, what are those big steps? You know, well, we told him we're going to stop paying for his cell phone. Bullshit. <laughs> you know, like if that, if that's considered to be a big step. Yeah. We got to, yeah. we got to back. I was, work, I was working full time when I was 17 years old. You know, I mean, not every kid should do that or needs to do that. But, you know, if you're, you know, if you're 20, 21, 22 living at home, you better be going to college and you better be doing well at college, <laughs> you know? And, um, I don't know. A lot of times it's, I, I think it's a combination of people being unwilling to take responsibility in their own lives and parents or loved ones who enable them to not take any responsibility. The opposite of addiction is responsibility. Huge. Do you feel like you were enabled? Uh, yeah. Um, but you were pretty independent. Like you just said you were working or no, I, <laughs> I can't read your face. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, the answer is all of the above, you know, I mean, my dad sort of ignored me, my mom, you know, I mean, it, it was, you know, when I was, I'm six foot five, I've been this big since I was 15, you know, my nephew, um, is he's 15, he's six, seven, you know, when, when I was living at home, when I was a kid and she was like, you know, you're not going out tonight. I was like, you're wrong, <laughs> you know, and you, when your kid's 15, you can't throw them out. She couldn't mm -hmm. force me to stay home. You know what I mean? So that was a real conundrum for her. And, um, it was a difficult situation, you know, and her solution was to be permissive, you know, and say, well, just like, as long as you're at home, you know, um, I can't even imagine how difficult it is for a mother, like that mother's love, you know, like oh that God. mama bear, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and, uh, yeah, I've seen it very close to me. Just the, the, the blind eye that almost like, it's like, it almost has to be there because it's, oh, I don't know, man, that would take some major, major cojones to <laughs> any yeah. mother to, to put down the hammer. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I feel, I, I, I do feel terrible for the shit that I pulled on her and I always will, but you know, I, um, but she'll love you no matter what, She's you know? Your mom. Yeah. And you know, I mean, I got in, uh, I got in an argument with some of my family the other day and my mom was like, you know, um, are you mad at me? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm totally mad at you. But I mean, like, you know, if you hit a pedestrian, I'll help you bury the body. Like you're my mom, you know, I'm like, I'm angry at you, but I'm like, I'll still do anything for you. Are you know, um, <laughs> so yeah. you were drinking at the age of 50 when okay so I, I still want to go back and find out what like the the breaking point was to get to the sobriety but let's start about let's start with the first time you you cracked a drink like do you remember that oh yeah no i mean it was um the i mean i remember the first time i got drunk was with uh you know one of my sister's uh boyfriends and we went out like you know by the railroad tracks and uh some Budweiser tall boys mm. and uh it was amazing it was mad it was totally magical I you know I I was like oh I feel okay <laughs> you know I feel like myself you know for the first time in my life you know and um you're you're wincing at that <laughs> no I because I've so been there I've yeah. so been there like oh my god this makes me feel 
for me, it was pot. Like I just, I loved to smoke. It, it made mm. me feel like I was a writer. I could write when I was high. I could be funny when I was high. I could be smart when I was high. I could hold a really intelligent conversation when it, God knows if any of those things actually happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But for me, it was like, oh my God, I feel like I am now the person that I want to be. I felt like I was myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Thankfully, the tables have turned. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wincing and I'm like, yeah, I get it. And it was just, it, it was, I was like, man, I'm going to do this all the time. Totally. <laughs> Every day I'm going to be myself. Totally. No wonder they didn't want me to do this. Like I'm, I'm really good at this. And yeah, I mean, I was terrible at it. Um, but yeah, I was like falling all over myself and like, you know, um, falling in the trees, and just, you know. And it just never stopped. Like you just, it just was like those tall boys. And then. Oh, I, I remember waking up the next morning and just being like, holy shit. You know, I figured it out. You know, this is, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. You know, this is, I found my thing, you know? And, um, oh, Whoa. God, what an idiot. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I still remember all this shit incredibly. Vividly. And then two years later, you're on a bus going, Hmm. I think I might be an alcoholic. Yeah. That's high school like, too. So you're, you're not even age yet. Right? Well, I, I left, um, I left high school after, uh, after sophomore year and started a college level program in Massachusetts. So it was that, you know, the, you know, one of these things that I've sort of like taken advantage of and suffered from through most of my life is being the sort of mannish boy, mm. you know, that I was, I was huge when I was very young and also stayed very immature right up until, well, right about now. Uh, We're and, here to change you. Did you know? Oh God. I, 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 I hope you brought reinforcements. We're, we're taking you to an ashram. Good luck. <laughs> the, um, so, you know, I've, there's always been that combination of like, you know, I, you know, was sort of living in this adult world of being out of college and having, you know, sort of hardcore, um, you know, hardcore academic life, hardcore intellectual life. And then also like, you know, at night just drinking cough syrup and like, you know, crazy bonfires in the woods and just shoplifting and doing all sorts of stupid shit and, and acting like, you know, not like, not like we were 15 or 16 or 17, but like we were nine, you know? Um, and so there's always been sort of that duality, but, um, but you know, I mean, it's funny. I, I, like at this point in my life, I, uh, I'm okay with it. You know, I mean, I, whenever I get pulled over, um, you know, I always just tell a cop, you know, like, you know, I've been, I've been sober for, well, now it's like almost nine years and, uh, cops are always like, you sure, you know, cause I don't, um, you know, cause if I'm on the road or sleeping in the van or whatever, I don't look like what people think a sober person is supposed to look like of like clean cut, well scrubbed, well groomed. Um, and, um, I'm not, I'm not just okay with that now. I'm happy with that. You know, I mean, I, one of the things that I'm really proud of with my sister's kids is that I, I can actually show them like a good role model, you know, that like, it's, it's okay to be the weird uncle. You can drive a van that looks like the van from Scooby-Doo without 
you know, totally mystery machine without, without being Jeff Spicoli. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and it, it's, it's good to be strong, but being strong means going out and running 20 miles or helping with the chores. It doesn't mean cutting down women, you know, and it, it you know, it doesn't. And, you know, that I don't know that I guess there, that there's a different way to be a man other than like, you know, watching sports and drinking beer and eating Cheetos and stuff like that, that it's OK to be a man. But to be a man doesn't mean that. um that you're a pig or a shithead or yeah and so to into me um you know sitting around watching football and eating wings and all this stuff like to me that's that's not a man (laughs) yeah yeah like to me my husband's a man like one of the best ironman triathletes in the in the country and plant-based and he does yoga and he meditates like to me that is that is a man like somebody who is willing to be vulnerable to put it out there and say you know I, I, I'm willing to try these things. And, um, and then you realize that, damn, it makes you feel good. And if it makes you feel good, you stay with it. Mm-hmm. You want more of it. And it goes, it goes yeah. right kind of with like the, the idea of, you know, eating plants versus eating meat. Like there's nothing manly to me about throwing a piece of meat on the grill when somebody else did the dirty work for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I, um, the, uh, I, I'm outspoken about gun control. I'm a big proponent of gun control. And, um, I, you know, I have friends and fans who are like, you know, all about guns and I'm always like, if you're so freaking tough, why do you need a gun? Exactly. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. a re- real man wouldn't need a gun, you know, right. like, um, cause a gun's not going to, a gun, like, I'm not saying the gun, the object, but how are you going to use the gun? Like that's never going to create a peaceful environment. It's yeah. never going to create a peaceful community so what do you want to see what do you want to see in the world a friend of mine got it right he said you know um one day we're finally all going to kill each other and then the guns can live in peace (laughs) perfect all right so what got you sober um nothing uh nothing horrible no i've heard that before no big bad thing i uh like it wasn't like this crazy thing like sometimes people are just like i just woke up and was like i'm done yeah no i didn't um there like i didn't you know kill a family driving drunk or you know um you know lose my career i never had a career you know i like i just finally realized that i finally saw the narrowing of the aperture you know that as a young man my life had had that there were sort of like infinite possibilities of who I could be and what I could do and the things I could do with my life. And then at 32, that had kind of narrowed to a pinprick where I, you know, I'd gotten fired. You know, I couldn't even get a job like working in a bar anymore, you know, and they put up a lot of shit in bars in New York. But I, I, um, I was, you know, take, picking stuff up off the free section on Craigslist and then selling it on the furniture section or whatever, you know, and just the bottom feeder. And, uh, and I was like, man, you know, like I, I moved to New York, you know, with dreams and like, you know, they, they were granted, they were, you know, shallow or arrogant or unrealistic dreams, but I still, I had a dream, you know, and now my dream is that 
when I'm riding my bike one day, I'll get hit by somebody with a really expensive car and then I'll get a large settlement and be wheelchair bound for the rest of my short life, but have enough money to pay the bills. It's really you know? inspiring. That was my financial plan for the future. <laughs> you know, like the, uh, <laughs> my sitting in a wheelchair, my arms raised in triumph, my legs, just a shattered mess. You know, <laughs> like, so it's the like the guy in Office, office Space. space. <laughs> Did you ever see that movie where the guy gets like hit by a car and he's like... He backs up out of his driveway. He's going to kill himself. He backs out of the driveway and he gets hit. Yeah. And he's uh -huh. literally like a head. Like he's left with a head, but he's like, I have a huge settlement. And he's like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like so excited. And he has a huge party. He does. The, um, yeah, that's... Milton. Oh, yeah, that's no way to live. The, um, but yeah, I just, I just finally woke up with, you know, to it one day I was like, my life is small and it's just going to keep getting smaller and smaller. And I had like tried to done everything to, I could to drink myself to death and failed at that. And I was like, man, it looks like I'm going to be stuck here for a long time. It might be time for me to figure out how to live. <laughs> and you got sober without like the assistance of AA or how did you do that on your own? You, just, you have a really strong will. You, yes. I, I'm, I'm really stubborn. And that was, you know, it's been a huge obstacle in my life. But, you know, one of the things I talk about with people is use the skill set you acquire as an alcoholic to get you out of that hole. You know, the same, the same things of like, you know, that, no, I will continue to drink. Well, you have to use that stubborn will to say mm -hmm. like, no, nothing but nothing will make me drink now. Um, and, uh. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I came home from like two and a half week tour of England with my band and, uh, I was just exhausted and I was just like, this is it. It's done. And I'd been a huge problem for my, you know, for my bandmates on tour, like they were pulling me out of hedges and shit like that. And, uh, listen, I wasn't at the like, um, you know, bottle and a half of vodka every day that some alcoholics get to where you, you do need medical assistance. You know, I felt like garbage for, you know, a week or 10 days. And then I was like panic attacks and depression and shit like that. Because now you're feeling everything yes. that you had been covering up since you were 15 years old. Yes. Yeah. That's what I think people like, you hear like, Oh, he's sober now. That's so great. It's like, yeah, no, but like that's work. where yeah. the sh work really starts. Like, yeah, you're not drinking anymore, but it, now you got to deal with all those demons that have been drunk yes. for so many years. Well, and and this is one of the things that I wanted to bring up too when I um when I saw when I saw the license plate on your car <laughs> and we were talking about anger and frustration and whatnot, and um, one of the things you know talking about sobriety and talking about re recovery and talking about sort of mental health and physical health, I always try to complicate the sort of two dimensional stuff that we often in encounter in, in writing, in movies, in social media. One of the things that I encourage everybody to do, particularly people in recovery, particularly women is to do combat sports. I, I, you know, I told, I was boxing and kickboxing and I told my sister, I was like, you've got to do this. It's, it's so good for you. And she was like, Mishka, I'm a mom. You know, I don't, I don't kickbox. I don't do that shit. And I was like, 
no, you need to. And then she started doing martial arts and she's a badass. <laughs> and, you know, the, you know, they had a competition one day to see who could sort of, you know, kick over the one, you know, like a uh, punching bag. And it was like her, her husband and one other guy in the class who could do it, you know, and I love yoga, but what I get out of yoga is relief from injuries and from, you know, back pain and stuff like that. I rarely get the sort of mental relief or clarity or focus that other people get. I get that from boxing. I get that from kickboxing. You know, I, I mean, I really feel like, you know, I got dumped one time and I went, drove straight to the gym and I did 10 rounds on the heavy bag and I walked out and my lips were blue from hypoxia and I walked out and I was okay. And, mm -hmm. and, and I like just, you know, went home and ate and slept and I woke up the next morning and I was like, okay, I'm all right. You know, it's, it is like the Vitamix for your negative it emotions. It's you know, you just churn it up and blow it out. And I think that a lot of people think that, you know, like, oh, I'll eat vegan and I'll go to yoga and then I'll be okay. And for some people that works, but if it's not working for you, then it's not working for you. And maybe you need to try the exact opposite thing. You know, I mean, for me, like I had, it's, it's not about squashing my feel, my, uh, my negative feelings of, you know, depression or anxiety or resentment or anger or whatever. For me, it's about expressing it, you know, and, and to, to go and kick the shit out of the bag or my sparring partner in New York, his name was Bill W., which is perfect because I'm not a fan of AA and I would be like fighting Bill W every day. And the I'm, I'm, you know, I don't see him very often anymore, but I'm, I'm sort of closer to him uh, than people I've known for a lot longer because he and I had that sort of intimate relationship of being sparring partners, knowing that like, okay, we're going to get together now and we're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to train obviously, and we're going to do the the physical stuff, but then also like, I'm going to beat you up and you're going to be beat me up. And at the end of this, we're both going to feel better, you know? Yeah. I mean, the body is, the body is an amazing filtering machine. And I absolutely agree that like getting out there and I'm actually working with somebody um, who calls me often who's trying to not drink so much anymore. Uh -huh. Really, really functional too. Like really, really That's functional. The worst. Oh, really <laughs> functional. The worst. But um, this person is, you know, going to Muay Thai and just sometimes it's twice a day and it's just like, and I, and I say to this person, I'm like, you go in there and you beat the absolute shit out of whatever you're beating up. Like get it out get it out yeah. get it out it is so important so because if know, you don't you take it out on your partner you take it out oh on my your God. family I used anger is a normal thing that's, i mean don't like and people will like hate themselves for getting angry or feeling angry right oh, no man be like we're human it's beings right this right. particularly this modern world you but know if like you let it fester yes then can it, hello cancer like, yeah this it stuff totally poisons you yeah something horrible and, you know, I say that when I first started doing triathlons, um, I 
I would say I've already written a chapter called Swimming with Fists because that's how I would swim because I I was that total asshole out there. This little five (laughs) one person was like it was like my punching bag was like, get out of my way, get out of my way. And it felt good. Like for I mean, I'm not recommending this for anyone. This is not a nice way to compete. But for me, it was like I started to realize that through this these endurance sports that I could start to filter out what I didn't know how to filter out before yeah and and start to process it so the body is amazing uh, machine in that way you were gonna say something I was just gonna say is, is ultra running the same has been the same avenue for you has it been no totally different perspective? Yeah. totally different um, the I found when I'm doing if I'm doing sprint workouts or boxing or kickboxing like or short, intensity, short short runs yeah. yeah that's when you blow out the negative emotions but if i'm going out for 15 20 miles you know uh you can you can be angry for 4 miles but it's harder to be angry for 20 miles and what do you have left after the anger you know and for me it was like love you know i um love my family. I love my girlfriend. You know, I love my friends. And, um, the, you know, it, a lot of times it's like anger and negativity and resentment and, you know, the, the bad emotions that'll get me out the door and that'll, you know, get me to lace up my shoes and go, I don't like running. (laughs) I need it. And I don't, (laughs) I don't like it. It would, you know, it would take negativity to like get me out the door but then when I was out there, you know, that's when I think about my mom or I think about my sisters and, you know, think like, man, I, I'm so lucky or man, I really owe her an apology or, you know, like, and that was the, you know, I think about the shit that my mom put up with when I was, you know, when I was a kid and think about like, well, if she could be strong for us then, then I can mm-hmm. do this now. We're doing a challenge this month. My buddy, Mo Alexander, he signed up to do 5,000 sit-ups with me. Mo's 400 pounds, big boy. If Mo can do it, fuck, so man, I can, that, I can do it. How many is that a day? It's uh, 162 What? Did you do them already? Uh, I did a, well... <laughs> This, I mean, this is how, how I do shit. I, the first day I, you know, I just like blasted out 200 and now I have like a, like a bloody chafe mark on my tailbone. <laughs> like, for, cause I didn't, you were you like, know. I'm going to bank an extra yeah. 40. And, um, <laughs> I love it. So now it's like, I have to do like 10 here and 10 there and stuff. And like, I've been doing, I have to do crunches instead of sit ups. Cause I was like just bleeding last night. But, um, but it's not that many. You you know, people in your in your day, you have five minutes here and five minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly me, you know, I either work at home or, you know, I did it on the hotel floor this morning and I'll do another 100 with the kids. That's what you got to do. Like we're doing a plank t- challenge with our athletes right now and we haven't done our planks yet. But we, so it's telling. Yeah, we're planking. So for the month of January, we're doing a, the amount of time it is for the day. So today's January 4th. So, we have to so we're still pretty good. Planks. Four minutes, but. When we get to like one four minute plank, well, or you four? go to where you can go, oh, okay. and then right. yeah. So when you get to thirty one, that's awesome. That thirty one is... minutes of planking. So when it's all said and done, that's over eight hours in the month of January of planking. That's brutal. And we've done. We did three minutes. I've never thought I could do, but it's the mental side yeah, of things. Yeah. Like 
I don't know how long you've planked, but I planked maybe for a minute and a half at most. Yep. But we did three minutes. You're last like, that's night. good. That's good. Minute and a half. That's good. Yeah. But, but now, yeah, three minutes. Tonight's now, gonna be four. Tonight's gonna be four minutes. But you try to see, like, and of course we have this know. athlete that's like, I already did my four minutes. We're like all at once. She's like, Yeah, we're like great. You, see, that I'm, means we have to do it all at once. <laughs> I'm all about the challenges because whatever you need, you're gonna find there. Whether it's mm-hmm. somebody who's like, Oh yeah, I did six minutes today, and you're like, God damn it! All right, I'm gonna do it. Or somebody who is like. I just, I couldn't do it today. I just, I tried and I tried and I couldn't do it. I'm going to try again tomorrow, but I couldn't do it today. You know, and you need both of those people. Totally. Or the the person who's like, man, I love this challenge. Or the person who's like, I hate your guts for roping me into this. Right. You know, and and like, um, we're social animals. We need each other. Yeah. Don't, don't deny it. Lean into it, you know, and just, um. Drag your friends in to do stupid shit with you. <laughs> Which is what you did in the month of November. Yeah. God. You did a writing God. challenge and uh and I was a part of that. And there were so many nights where I had every excuse in the book not to write. Like I was in New York City at the time and I think we were I, I thought you were still living in New York at the time. And um anyway, uh I was in this training and it was like all day, like eight to whatever, seven thirty at night, and then I would come, I was just exhausted. It was all information all day long. And then it would be like nine o'clock at night and I was just so tired. I'm like, you know what? Show up. Like just show up. It yep. doesn't matter how just show up, turn the Wi-Fi off and write something. Yep. And then post it on the Facebook group. Like post it. Like that that's all you have to do and do it. And it was it was um the accountability is so massive. Yeah. How yeah. did you well, okay, two things. Um First, what I think is really funny is that I think you were you were writing this, but like as as life gets better, right? Like as you kind of like clean up, like now you've got this wonderful girlfriend and you're sober and you're touring and blah blah blah. Like writing gets a lot harder. Like when you're angry yeah. and you're sad and you're like peeing in the bed, yeah. writing's a little bit easier. Yeah. The um yeah, I, I failed that challenge. Yeah, and, that was my second know, question is how did it I, go for you? I tried to be honest about it. Um the why do you think you failed it why do you say you failed it well okay i mean failure is a loaded word i engaged the challenge i took it on it's not a failure i didn't meet the challenge i didn't i didn't succeed i didn't full you know complete it um the uh i i I published six kindle singles and a full-length memoir in so it's that's basically three books worth of memoir in uh in like five years um i'm out of shit you know um and it's a great place to be you know i um i've I got my revenge on the people I had to get revenge on. My my lifelong nemesis died a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I sort of like sorted a lot of shit out with my dad, sorted shit out with my family. I, you know, sort of like, you know, sorted most of the stuff out, you know, uh, old lovers. And um, so I, there are few things now, you know, the only thing that's preventing me from sleeping at night right now is the second coffee that I had after lunch, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> which is not to say my life is good or my life is perfect or my life is easy, but it, I just don't, you know, I, I have, 
the biggest problem that I have right now is that I don't have like one big, well-defined problem, you know, yeah, like you're out of shit, like the shit in your yeah. life is gone. So now what do you write about? And I think, like you said, it's a good place to be. There were some times during that month where, and I know you can re relate to this, where I would like, I, like open the computer and be like, all right, five breaths, get into the present moment. That's where creativity happens. And I do the five breaths. And it was like, it was like, I just like, slam the brakes on or something like my yeah, head yeah, would yeah. hurt like yeah. there was like it was like something was inserted into my brain and there was just nothing yeah well i mean i i i, I deal with this a lot with my students you know that um we're good at defeating ourselves you know so a, so a lot of times you have to sneak up on shit you know, so much of my writing happens while i'm running oh, just because that you're same thing. you're occupied so you're doing a thing. So you're it's sort of like, okay, I can relax a little bit. I'm doing a thing. But you're clear too. You can be clear. You're you're physically focused on the task at hand. You're present. Um, but your brain is just spinning, you know? And people are like, oh, you don't listen to podcasts? You don't listen to music? or whatever. No, man. It's just like just me out there, whether, whether it means I figure out what happens in this song or – figuring out a personal conflict in my life or what happens next in this story or whatever, you know, that's when, um, that's when I go out there and just sort of like let my mind just let it run. But like, know? do you con okay. So that's happened to me and meditation. So I meditate every day and so much stuff comes in during meditation and you're like, Oh, I gotta write this down. So do you just trust that it's going to come back? Do you go right from the run to the computer or? I talk into my phone a lot or I'll write notes yeah, or stuff like that. that's what I got to start doing is talking you know. into the phone. Um, you know, I mean, another thing is, you know, people, well, I'm going to go two ways with this. One, people are hounding me to, oh, you got to write the next book, the next story. You got to write fiction. You got to write this. No, man, I got to do whatever I want to do. Right now, what I want to do is I want to write songs. I want to write dick jokes to say in between the songs. You know, I, I want it like I, I've been touring with a lot of comics. I've been doing a lot more sort of stand up shit. And um, that's been rewarding for me, you know. So like I the writing that I'm, you know, the writing that I'm doing right now is I've been writing a lot of jokes, you know, and I've been writing a lot of songs. I've just finished a new record that will be coming out next year. Um, I've already written sort of half of the next record that counts. That is writing, you know, uh, comedy is art. Um, even if it's just dick jokes and, um, and my music is valid and it's incredibly meaningful to me. And it's, it's what I want to do right now. Um, the other thing is, man, I've been so lucky to, I've been lucky that my writing has been financially remunerative. I'm lucky that I got a book deal. I'm lucky that my book came out. Wish it had sold a little more, wish a few more people had read it, but it's cool. You know, I got to write it. I got paid for it. You know, I've been very, you know, super successful publishing with Amazon. I'm being indebted to them forever. Um, you pass the mic, man. Like, it's it's time for somebody else to to tell their story, you know, to write their story. I um you know and I I wrote about David Sedaris. I love David Sedaris. I think he's an incredibly talented writer. I love his mind. His um you know he's as a writer he's someone I look to again and again about you know how would he you know navigate this terrain. He's a rich famous writer now, and 
I wish he would stop. <laughs> I, you know, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah. His, his problems are not as compelling to me now as they once were. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also he's got to let the next David Sedaris, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, a finite amount of attention, you know, not, which is not to say that, oh, you know, people shouldn't write. He, he, he can write as much as he wants. Tell all the goddamn stories if you want to. But, um, it's kind of like I'm getting this visual of like a like a face cloth, and you're just like wringing it out. Like, is there any more? Can I can I wring yeah, anything yeah. more out I'm, of this? Yeah, I'm not gonna write the longer run or the long run too. Re- return to <laughs> return to long run. You know, fuck that, man. No, I mean, I, hopefully, I only have to get sober once in my life. You know, and 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 this is, this is the thing too is you know when I was like when I was a kid, I was like someday I'm gonna write a book, a book. One book. <laughs> I did three, you know, three books worth of material. My my writing hand is tired, you know. But you're shifting, like you're you're shifting into like this new kind of genre, like comedy and things like that. And that's gonna, I think, even just shifting into that, it's still writing, but you're gonna get it's fresh and it's new and it's and have fun with it because maybe it stays, maybe it sticks, or maybe it's just you know, um, kind of a, like the, what do they say when you break up with somebody and then you, the rebound, maybe it's just like your rebound yeah. art right now. And then something else is coming, but it doesn't matter. You just go with it. Don't resist it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when I was, um, when I was writing, uh, my book, I swear I'll make it up to you. I would find myself, I would be like, I'm going to write all day. And I would write for like two hours and I'd be like, oh, fuck, I can't write anymore. My brain's exhausted. Then I would go and like fix guitars and because your brain never rests, it's always going. But if you, for me to shift from words to, oh, you know, do I need to increase the value of this potentiometer? Will that make this pickup sound bigger or brighter or louder or whatever? To, to shift that focus to something else, then I could stop banging my head against the wall with, you know, with a particular passage. And then that's when it would come to me. You know, you got to walk away. Like when you're like, I've got to stop or you hit that resistance. You like you. It's the sure sign. Don't I don't think there's any need to fight through it. Just walk away and let it come and and not walk away and turn on the TV, like walk away and and do the dishes or fold your laundry or you know what I mean? Do something like that where you're occupied, where you're still busy. Man, we don't need to have the radio going the entire time. You know, the radio, the iPod, the, like sometimes it's okay to just. Be, you know, I know. Yeah. I've gotten to a point where poor BJ, like I'll be trying to write like one sentence and he'll put something on. I'm like, that has to go off. Like I just, <laughs> I can't, I can't have any kind of competing. I just want silence. I just want yeah. silence so that the words can come. Like it, it doesn't even matter if it's just like a handwritten note in a book that I'm sending out or if I'm writing, you know, an article or whatever it is. I just like that silence and then when i hit that wall it's like go walk the dog yeah and come back dogs it's all about dogs (laughs) (laughs) do you have a dog no i think it's my greatest personal failing right now is that i don't have a dog but i just i think i think that yeah you know dogs are tremendous source of comfort for us oh my god we call clark the joy creator there's a picture of him in the back of the book and he's just the joy creator the other day i was down at the beach and i was i was there was these guys walking down the sidewalk and they had like the hats on backwards and like jeans with no shirts but they're all tattooed they just 
just like angry and just like rough. And here I am with Clark. He's a golden retriever. And I'm oh. at the corner and they come up and all of a sudden these three like dudes are just like on their knees like, oh my God. Like their voices are all like <laughs> high pitched yeah. and everything. Yep. And uh, I said, yeah, I said, he'll make anybody go soft. And this guy looks at me and he takes off the sunglass and he goes, I was so angry i was so angry and i'm not angry anymore and i'm like he's the joy creator he's the joy creator you guys like i swear they were like druggies or something <laughs> they were definitely had like an like i wouldn't want to meet them in an alley and you know in the in the middle of nowhere but he he will just bring you like right into this softness yeah. Yeah. and into this now and into this trust and also what i've been feeling from him lately is just this abundance like he always has everything he needs there's never a yeah. lack with him yeah and that's how dogs are they're amazing they're yeah. amazing all right we're starting to lose our light in the van <laughs> i love it <laughs> this is awesome this yeah. is the first podcast i've done in a van the mystery machine it's rad though out in the hills do you have a do you have a van back in atlanta too yeah I have do you little, have like a sweet previa what yeah I, have a little, I've, oh, I still got it. A little soccer mom minivan 1993 that's got, a like, unique design Oh, don't get me. We could do a whole podcast just about those vans. I'm a huge fan of them. People are like, oh, you got to get rid of this van. I'm like, look at these seven fan sites devoted just to this van. This is a miracle of modern engineering. <laughs> it's a very you unique know? design. Uh, yeah. No, a lot I, of yeah. R&D went into that. Yes, it's a absolutely. Gem. No, they're, they're amazing vehicles. And I'm so conflicted right now because it's getting to a point where it's like um, a $4 gasket will fail and it's deep within the engine so it's going to be 250 dollars of labor to get in there to replace the and I, I, yeah and I, so i'm like do i do i get rid of it and get something else or do i and it's so and i'm i'm really um I'm, you know really deeply connected to it that's when you, you just got to walk away and go for a run and wait for the answer yeah, I don't know. I've been waiting for a while. I, but I mean, I you know, I like I've this, you know, crazy van. I mean, driving this van, it's like it's like driving an abandoned whorehouse from the second story window. It's, just, it's like what what happened in here? Like, it's I definitely not, a climate changer. I do not want to see the forensic files on this. Van, yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't bring my black lights. Yeah. Like the black light. My, no. But you know, my other van is totally incognito. You know, I can just sort of like you know, I just cruise. You know, it draws no heat from cops or something. They're like, you know, oh look at that. You know deranged madman in the Toyota, so you know, soccer mom minivan. Right. <laughs> this, this one. Past, this one yes, gets this so is like... Well, especially since your name is on the, like, know, on the like, back. Pull me over. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Let's Google this guy. All right, Mishka. There's just, there's, there's so much, like, people can just soak up about you. Your book's amazing. Definitely go buy the book. I swear I'll make it up to you by Mishka Shibali. Big hit. Bestseller. Uh, no, it's a great book. It's it's absolutely amazing. Also, the long run on uh, Kindle single and um, and you've got what five other four others? Uh, five other Kindle singles. I've got a bunch of music up on Amazon, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. So, what, are you touring soon? Or yeah, yeah. I um I we were out here for a couple more days, then go back to Atlanta for a couple of days. Then I'm I've got ten days in Colorado. Then I'm doing. Georgia, Florida, Louisiana, Tennessee, Arkansas, Texas, and then in March, uh, Washington, Oregon, California, Nevada. 
Nice. So yeah. So you'll be on the road for a while. Around. We're in Colorado. Um, I'm I'm gonna be Fort Collins, Boulder, Denver, Colorado Springs, and a show in Laramie. Sweet. Nice. Well, we've a got a bunch of Colorado yeah. people that listen, so you guys go check out Mishka. Awesome. And um, how would people connect with you? Uh, all my tour dates and stuff are up at mishkashabali.com. I'm at mishkashabali on Twitter and Instagram. I, um, on Facebook. I Post some pretty engaging pictures. <laughs> it's been mostly van porn for the last van week. Van porn. Sometimes there's body parts. <laughs> yes. And I think that's going to get more interesting now that you're over 40, because at almost 46, I can tell you that (laughs) shit goes down. Yep. All right, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you making the time for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks for coming over to to the van. To the van. (laughs) Not everybody's going to be able to say that. That's exclusivity right there. Mishka is the man, right? Hope you guys loved today's episode as much as we loved recording it and sending it out into the podcast abyss. Make sure to check out the show notes for ways to connect with Mishka and the multitude of ways to support the show. We are so grateful every time you choose to listen in. One of the greatest things you can do is subscribe on Apple Podcast. One little clicky click and the show gets a boost. So that's it, straight up. If we want to make change in our lives, we must stay committed to the work. And how do we do that? Oh my gosh, it is so simple. Show up. Show up every day for your highest good. Question everything about negative thought patterns, belief systems, and behaviors. This is the warrior path, people. Waking up is no joke, but I can tell you this community is a potent pod of people who are showing up not only for themselves, but for the greater good. And this, my friends, is what the world is crying out for. More people who are willing to live the awake and ready life.